Hi there, this is Alistair from Unpopular Podcast, Digest My Shorts. Dan isn't with me, but thankfully I have his theme tune on vinyl, so I could stop it suddenly. This is just a quick note to say that the following episode wasn't recorded recently. It was recorded almost a year ago, with the intention that it would be put out right at the end of Series 2, which was to coincide with Christmas. As anyone who listens regularly may notice, we disappeared for about seven months, and so it is being put out a little bit late. It shouldn't matter, but there may be one or two subtle, minor Christmas references. Nevertheless, I hope you enjoy the following episode. Blah 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 I started that and didn't know realised I didn't know any of the words. That's okay. You might notice when I do it, I never use words. Oh, but I'm better than you. Merry Christmas, Daniel. Merry Crumpmas. Good for you. Uh hi, welcome to Joyce My Shorts Extra. Extra. My name is Dan. And my name is Alistair. Usually we watch The Simpsons. But today we're going to watch... Torch Song Trilogy. Why is that? Because we're bored of watching The Simpsons. <laughs> Not only that, but because we really enjoyed uh, Harvey Firestein in this season of The Simpsons. It's true. So, um, yeah. He was my favourite guest. Mm-hmm. Um, Not a guest of ours, a guest of The Simpsons. We need to get him on the show. We oh, One day we will. One day. Yeah. Is he on Twitter? I'll tweet him. He must be on Twitter. Yeah. Must be. But I'll put him on the list with Danny Baker. Yeah. But around the same time he was doing season two of The Simpsons, um, Torch Song Trilogy might have been the biggest thing he'd done. It's his own project. I don't know if he wrote and directed, but definitely it's his story. It's his personal thing. Yeah. Um, so, and and I, I've seen it before, and it used to have it on um, DVD, but you've got this DVD from... A video store. I got it from a video store. How yeah. how is there a video store left alive? <laughs> I live in Bristol. Right, that's, <laughs> it's not Manhattan. Um, well, it's a DVD rental. DVD store. rental. Um, it's called 20th Century Flicks. That's a good name. Uh, yeah, it's a strong name. Um, they're really nice in there. If you live in Bristol, I would highly recommend stopping by there. Funnily enough, I was in Bristol recently and I do remember walking past it and noting, oh my god, that's a, a video rental. They've got two very lovely cats Yeah, um, and the staff is super knowledgeable. Um, so it's really good if you want a recommendation. Fair enough. Not getting paid for that. No, no, but um, yeah, happy to recommend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Okay, so we're going to sit back, enjoy a couple of bottles of wine and Torch Song Trilogy and we'll come back Torch Song Trilogy? Torch Song Trilogy and we will let you know what we thought. Cool. All right. See you in five. And we're back in the room. (laughs) Alan! Alan! (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, God. I'm... I'm, I'm What a film! (laughs) I'm legitimately weepy. Alistair. I saw Alistair shed a tear. (laughs) I I completely did. Uh, It's been... It's been 20 years since I've seen this film. That was my first viewing. Yeah. Oh, what did you think? It was bloody brilliant. Yeah, it is. Way better than Gene. Yeah, really bittersweet. It's it's definitely not a comedy. No. 
but it is it is a tragedy. Uh, what? I wouldn't go for a tragedy. No, but it's it, got. It ends on a hopeful note. Okay, it is a drama yeah. masked in irony. You know, in that kind of sarcastic tone. Yeah. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah, I wouldn't go full tragedy, but yeah, I get. Oh. Okay, so we've just watched Torture and Tragedy. In as long as it takes, it doesn't matter. What happened in that film? Well, it's a character study of a. I I pretty I assume it's a Harvey Firestein avatar. <laughs> yeah, Harvey Firestein type. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, character study of him and his relationships. With his family and trying to start a, his own family mm-hmm. and his relationships in a predominantly heterosexual world. All right, I mean, you, wow, spellbinding! You, <laughs> you really, you really skipped every major plot point. It's not okay, plot. ask me. If I was going to go through the plot, ask then, me. Ask me. All right, let's do it in five seconds. Okay. All right, no, in as much time as you like. You know, all 100 and 105 minutes of it. Okay. Get the plot of Firesong Trilogy down. Okay. In the 70s, Harvey Firestein is a female impersonator. This explores his loves with the various men in his life uh, and his mother, uh, including you know, two partners and a son. And it's about the comedy and tragedy of that. All right, I give that to you. That's way better than mine. Thank you. I just, I just felt you missed some some plot points. Well, when you go for a, an overview, fair you're going to miss bits. Fair enough. If you combine both of us, <laughs> right? This, I mean, would you say this was a comedy? No. No. Okay. Uh, it had comedic elements. Okay. So, nevertheless, do you feel you had a favourite gag, and and Ooh. and then we'll go on to kind of favourite. Dramatic moment because it was more of a drama than a comedy. Because um, he, uh, Harvey Firestein, he's very funny. He's very funny. He is very funny. Really, I, I, I'd go so far as to say <laughs> that at this moment in time, until the wine wears off, I love him. <laughs> um, so I wrote a couple of lines down. Sure. I didn't write them all down. No, no, they're not bangers. But, yeah. Um, I can't even remember what the, this situation was, but he describes something as how a null coward. Oh shit, I don't remember that either. No, it was... Uh, okay, so his first major boyfriend is this guy called Ed. And they... Uh, Ed has a house um, upstate. And it is a horrible... Oh, like a cabin in the woods. Cabin in the woods. Yeah. Um, they split up. Then he gets together with Matthew Broderick, who appears way too young to be <laughs> in this film at all. Uh, but it works somehow. And... Uh, Matthew Broderick's character accepts an invitation from Ed's new it, yeah. girlfriend to go and spend the weekend with them. And as they're pulling up, they go, so we're going to go and see your ex's new girlfriend. Blah, blah. How very Noel Coward. And yeah. you're right. It was, it was very funny. And then you looked at me and was like, best Noel Coward joke. And I said, oh, no, you said best Noel Coward. I, I, I asked you if you'd seen any Noel Coward Things and I said the Italian job, which uh, yes, which it was uh, where you, you had to be there. It was good. It was good. <laughs> it was clever and good. But yeah, I I was thinking high spirits or something. Knockout had written. Um, I don't think I've ever seen any Knockout plays. The, uh, um, the radio is the best place to find them. Okay, really. Well, because he kind of predates 
not film, obviously, mm. but... Um, I just assumed he was theatrical. Well, that's the thing. Uh, he was theatrical, and that translates better into radio okay. than, than TV. So High Spirits, um, you could, there was definitely a version, there was a BBC version that within the last decade. Okay, I'll yeah. look into that. Yeah. He was also in Red Dwarf. I believe he was in Rear Window. Okay. I uh, in Rear Window because he wasn't actually in Red Dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, you're right. So the character of Noel Coward was in Red Dwarf. Yeah. You're, you're right. No, in Rear Window, I believe um, the. Uh, so in Rear Window, they overlook the courtyard and the ha- with the flats directly opposite. Yeah. But there is also to one side a guy who has all these parties and plays the piano. I believe that's now Noel Coward. Well, I hope you're right, because you're going to look like, right, such a fool. Oh, a right div. <laughs> a right div. Right div. Now, hang on a minute. Before, right, through the whole film, both of us were trying to perfect our Harvey Firestein, because because his voice is fantastic. It's so good. Um. So, okay, would you like to go first or second? with Second. Your... Okay. Because I'm going to copy yours. Darn it! Okay, with our best Harvey Firestein impressions. Should we pick up a line to say... Okay, have you got a line written down? Because I'm not coward. No, because I don't believe he was the one who said that. We'll just we'll just say something in a in a Harvey Firestein kind of a way. Okay. Because I, I oh oh mother mother no I didn't mean it I didn't mean it like that. That's my Harvey Firestein. Oh, that was really good. Thank you. You've got to say you actually got to say it. I'm just mouthing it to get it right. Yeah, because this is more oh, of a. Oh, I don't mean to get it right like that. Oh, Ooh. because I mean the beauty of how I mean Torchung Trilogy, he plays a character called Arnold, but it is it's him, isn't it? It is not. I don't know enough about Harvey Firestein mm. to know, but specifically, I presume it feels very personal. But specifically, it, what you have to get in is the fact it's Brooklyn, yeah, Jewish. Gay, female impersonator, and like smokers. Cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. and so it, it is a it's a really unique voice. Mm. And uh, at the beginning of the film, oh, the film opens with a beautiful piece to camera, a fourth wall breaking. Oh, I wish there there was there was two moments of like fourth wall breaking, and mm. I kind of wish there was more. Yeah, no, absolutely. They were really good. Yeah, he opened because it was based on his stage play, where obviously you talk to the audience um, much more. The whole film felt very, very theatrical. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back to that. But yeah, yeah, carry on. Um, but in the first one, he talks about the types of love, and this is in the seventies to be a gay man. Mm. Uh, and he talks about out of towners, which is so that presumably that is people who are gay for the weekend. Yeah, and I can't remember what other sorts. But he's talking to the camera, and his bittersweetness is it, it's beautiful to watch compared to his dramatic acting in the next few scenes which is just not as strong is that fair um i never i never watched it and thought that's bad acting okay no it wasn't bad no but Um, but, i really liked his fourth wall breaking mm. and i remember watching that that opening bit and thinking i could watch a film with this yeah yeah (laughs) monologuing and then i was like Just go to the theatre. But there's a a lovely bit. So he has this relationship with Ed, who is... I had not remembered it was really biphobic. And I'm a a bi guy. So this is... I'm not a biophobic. I'm a bi... (laughs) I really want to stress. I fall down on the side of bisexual, not the side of biphobic. But because this is is important. This film is really biphobic. 
Okay. But but that's fine. I give it a pass. I because it's I it's set it in the seventies and it was filmed in the eighties. I didn't feel it was biphobic. Well, I, what I mean by that is the attitude of all the characters is that bisexuals can't admit that they're actually gay. And uh, and the, I didn't get that. Is it, is it Ed who was the Ed is the the guy who identifies yeah. as bisexual? And all um, the, I yeah. I kind of felt that Ed was given a fair shout. Uh, I, 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 and maybe this is informed by my understanding of gay literature and gay society as a whole. Mm. It's something I, I was really aware of growing up is that concept of either people can't settle or that you can't hold down a relationship. If you had a wife, you'd secretly be wanting a boyfriend as well. Or if you had a boyfriend, you'd secretly be having sex with a woman as well. And th- this is very represented in this, that that Ed seems really confused. He's not comfortable in his bisexuality. I got that Ed was confused, but I didn't feel that was the bisexuality was the cause of that. But but the other characters, Murray, who we loved. Oh, Murray. Murray. We'll, we'll come back to Murray. But, yeah. he was like... but, you know, he was one of the characters that kind of expressed that can't settle down on a side. I feel that was the character's biphobia rather than the film's biphobia. I think it's representative. There wasn't a character that said, you know, people who are bi can fall in love permanently with one person. But I think Ed's relationship was... It, yeah. I think Ed was portrayed as a very uh, sympathetic character. His his I mean, uh, relation to, to a female character <laughs> was sincere. I don't think he doubted it. And But he was, he was of the piece. Apart from Mum, he was the arsehole. I wouldn't have called him. No, oh, I don't know. I don't. Any, 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 anyway, right? They have this relationship. Uh, they break up because he has a date with a woman while he's going out with Harvey, yeah. who's called Arn- Arnold. The character. We'll just call him Harvey from now on. Yeah. Six months later, Ed turns up at Harvey's dressing room and says, "I can't stop thinking about you. Will you go out for another get- uh, um, date?" And leaves, and then Harvey turns to the camera. Yeah, yes, that. That's the other that yeah. second fourth wall break. Yeah, on. he turns to the camera and just does a facial expression. Oh, so such it's a good so face. good, <laughs> and I really hoped it has informed the writers of Deadpool because it was such a good switch between uh, dramatic action and breaking the fourth wall. It was it was just so clear and clever and uh, poignant. That's, a, that's a, an interesting comparison well partly because deadpool is supposed to be this bisexual character which when i watch the film i don't i don't see that at all he did nothing actively bisexual he was bisexual in name only but so i just wonder whether there is any kind of they watch this film and they're like oh some of these traits would be really interesting to carry over um i think i don't think there was i i would be surprised if the writers of deadpool watched this film and mm. consciously carried over points of that. I think that might have just been part of the fourth wall breaking. Fair enough, but uh, concept because I think if you watch something like Fleabag, oh yeah, which I on. mentioned to you during the yeah, film, yeah, absolutely. Um, which uh, uh, for anyone who's not seen it, it's like a BBC comedy that came out this year, 2017, um, uh, about a woman living in London and traversing the uh, the pitfalls and pratfalls <laughs> of dating. Yeah. Um, but there were a lot of fourth wall breaking, a lot more fourth wall breaking moments in that than there is in this. Sure, but those bits did remind me of that. Fair enough. But and also Ferris Bueller 
he turns to the camera. And that's really pertinent. When did that happen? Well, we could stop and look it up. But but definitely Ferris Bueller talks to the camera in in the film, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh, sorry, I thought you were talking about this film. <laughs> no, <laughs> like... no, Matthew Broderick <laughs> doesn't talk to the camera in this film. Yeah, I was... but, but actually, because... Yeah, though, you're right. He yeah. does, he does in this film, the only person who can is Harvey Firestein because it's his story, Yeah, which is really clever. If, you know, if you're going to have fourth wall breaking, it's better to only have one character able to do it. Mm. But... Um, so this is right, Matthew Broderick does do that in first Yeah, have you noticed in um, in Wayne's World, it's mainly the Mike Myers who breaks the fourth wall. Go on, Garth occasionally does with, with uh, alongside, alongside, yeah. yeah. Um, but then there's one bit where the the cafe owner who always says these like horrible things, he breaks the fourth wall and he's just like, you know, if you stab a man in the heart, I win it. Steam emerges from his heart, and the ancient Indians thought this was like their soul escaping. And then Wayne takes the camera off and is like, "Hey, hey, only <laughs> we can speak to the camera." Well, in which case, is it Wayne's World one or two? Where oh, well, I do not remember his name. Part of the Brat Pack, but limited. Rob Lowe. Rob Lowe. Wayne's World one. Right? Doesn't he talk to the camera? No. I really, remember. I really remember him doing so. Doesn't matter. So when we when we say Ferris Bueller, I'm not referring to <laughs> Matthew Broderick. Matty B. Matty B, who is in this film. But that was only two years earlier. So in 1986, he played, what, a 16-year-old? Yeah. 15 or 16-year-old. I don't know. I get confused by American. In, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In this, they didn't specify his age, but because he's got those big eyes. Oh, they did. I think he said they said he died at 27. Okay, hang on. That was a throwaway line, right? And that was in 1977. So when he meets Alistair (laughs) Redding, I wrote down the years because it does go 1950 to 1971, 1975, 1977, 1980 something. Right. Um. So he was. He died around 77. He was like yes, he died 27 or so. Okay, I I think so. In 1977. So they met when he was like 24 or so. Which is completely legitimate. That's fine. It is okay if you are 40 or 50 something to go out with something, someone who's 27 or so. But it kind of feels like he is much younger because he's got these big bright eyes and is, is um, expressed as really innocent. Mm. It, it really feels like he is much younger. How old is, is Harvey Weinstein? Well, he said something about being in his fifties in the film. In the film, but I don't. I, mean, I don't think Harvey is, but I think the character might be. Okay. I think he might have made his character older and Matthew Broderick's character younger than whatever it was based mm. on in real life in order to make that. Because also, there's a wonderful moment. So he, um, Matthew Broderick and Harvey Firestein adopt a child yes. who is fifteen, and that's one of my favorite points of this yeah. film. It's really good. Um, but Harvey, uh, but uh, the kid David, who is great, he's introduced really abruptly, and it really works. Mm. You don't worry about his place in the film. But he meets Harvey's mum from the bus stop, and she thinks he's a mugger. Um, and <laughs> then, and then when he's kind of explaining who he is, oh, I live, I live with. Arnold mm. um, and she's like are you, are you at college and he's like I oh, know I'm at high school and she's like oh <laughs> and he's like <laughs> and she's like oh are you you know you're you're 
senior, whatever it is. And he's like, oh, no, 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 I'm a freshman. And she's like, because... I love a fish in the mind. Yeah. She doesn't realise that he is the adopted son of and not the new boyfriend of. So for a second, for a minute, and she's an unsympathetic mother throughout the whole thing. Yeah. So there is a an hilarious scene where she worries that her 50-year-old son is going out with a 15-year-old boy with hilarious consequences. <laughs> um, but uh, it really works. Go on to his to his mother's relationship. Do um, I was surprised? Oh, okay, I'm, I'm I'm not speaking from any point of experience here. Sure, um, but I sometimes find that grandchildren are the way to swing around possibly homophobic grandparents. Okay, go on. Um, you know, as soon as you throw, I've got a grandchild. And grandparents love grandchildren. You, Dan, have a grandchild. I don't have a grandchild. Sorry, go on. I, I, go That's on. why I, I put a disclaimer at the start. Right, so I just wanted to... I'm a, not right. coming from... So that, that fictional parent, hypothetical yeah. parent. Hypothetical parent. Um, given given the way she was portrayed, I was surprised she didn't wasn't swung around by the introduction of a grand, grandchild. Although, spoilers, she was ultimately, but not... So she found out about the 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 child David before a big argument, and then afterwards we only had body language to establish that she was okay. Okay, with that is that fair? That is fair, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, but but you're you're right. There's a just a really moving scene, but and this is set in the seventies, so we've come on a really long. I watched this in the nineties, mm. and. Um, gay rights definitely wasn't up to the up to the mark, and we've moved on so much mm. since then. Um, the point is that I'm still there, keep fighting. Yeah, Harvey Firestein's character has an argument with his mother about the fact that uh, his his great love, uh, who died in a really, and we might come back to this if we have time, a very bury your gaze way. Oh, such a sad scene. It's such a sad scene. So Matthew Broderick gets murdered. Murdered, yeah, murdered he in the street. Murdered. He gets murdered. In the, the, street. the circumstances aren't important. Yeah, by street thugs. Yeah, he, he doesn't even get murdered for the fact that he's gay. Oh well, I think it was, but no, he, it was. He, so- he, got, he got murdered because there was some weird foreshadowing, but I don't feel that the foreshadowing was that they called him a faggot. Yeah. So I, I, I think it, he, I think it was supposed to be directly pertinent. I don't feel like it was because he 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 never got killed because he tried to protect an old man being beaten up. Okay, on the surface of things, yes. But just imagine you were a eighties gay viewer of the film. Yeah, I can totally see that. Yeah. Yes, it was supposed to be yeah. because he was gay. Yeah. Um, but you but you're right on the on the surface of things. But any 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 anyway, basically, no. Matty D died being a hero. Yes. Now was it Anne Bancroft? It wasn't Anne Bancroft. Yeah, it was. Okay, so the mum, Anne Bancroft, um, basically challenges Harvey Firestein, who can't be that much younger than her, (laughs) (laughs) about about the fact that he is spitting on his father's grave by reciting the Jewish rites on holy days, which I don't don't know enough to comment about. No, no, neither. Um, But the fact that he's reciting those over his boyfriend's grave that it is an insult to his father's memory. And they have an argument about the fact that those relationships should be considered equally. Yeah. And I can't remember the point of this, that that bit. 
but yes, you're right that the uh, that the mother Anne Bancroft isn't turned around by the grandson before that point. The, mm. the big altercation is that, and she's already met the adopted son and not the new boyfriend, but Ed, who is still who just seems quite like. Oh, he's still sleeping on the sofa. I didn't like Ed. I'm really, I'm really <laughs> sorry. I think it, I think I didn't like Ed because he's a bad representation of bi men. Okay. Because it is this idea that bi men are more flighty. That you know their love is more transient than other sexualities, which is insulting. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I'm bisexual and I had a partner for ten years and I didn't ever cheat on them. It is not in the. It is not necessarily in the nature of people who are bisexual to cheat on partners, and yet it is the kind of thing that was represented. Okay, that's what. That's why that was a problem for me. I can see that. Um, I wouldn't say the film. I think yeah, kind of what I said before. Hmm. The film itself isn't biphobic. The characters may have been biphobic. Fair enough. I get that, I'm, and I'm completely happy with that. But, oh, such a me- such a meaningful film! <laughs> it's so, it's so good, and I did I shed a tear all so many times. And there's a point where Murray, uh, who is a secondary character, and is fantastic. He's, Murray's really good. Yeah. He's one of the other drag queens at Arnold's job, which is some theatre, some some down down trap theatre in. Yeah. New York somewhere. Yeah. Well, when he's talking about Ed, he just he just goes, well, you do you, because Alan died, you didn't die. And I was just like, oh, God, Alan died. <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, yeah, Murray's in a row. She's like in the one of the first scenes. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That's and it. Really, yeah. really strong character throughout. Yeah. In the 10 years, in the 10 year drive, mm. um, Arn- Arnold's colleagues Harvey. and friends, Harvey, Harvey Arnold's, Harvey. <laughs> uh, Arnold's colleagues and friends didn't change, which is really interesting. Although his love life did. Yeah, that's yeah. quite nice. Yeah. Now a point about um, their fashion sense. Oh, uh, Matty B's bouffants. Oh, <laughs> I'd, for- I'd forgotten about that. There's um. His shadow was uh, Matthew Broderick, in case you didn't know. Yeah, Matty B, Matthew Matty Broderick. B, yeah. um, his shadow against the wall at one point was a... It did look like a penis. That's it. He had... I he had this weird, like... It's not a perm. What do you call it? Yeah. Buffon. I'd say Buffon. It was Buffon and part, a middle... Blow dry. A central parted yeah. Buffon. Which That's just, not two eighties for the 70s. That's fair. Yeah. Um, and a lot of denim on denim. Oh, double denim. Harvey Firestein, and this sounds really mean because I have the utmost respect for not only him as an actor, but also the character. But he does, did look like Mutton Dressed as Lamb. <laughs> as in, he was a middle-aged man and he wore jeans and, and jean jacket. Oh, I can see myself going that way, so I'll let, I'll leave him to it. To be honest, but this was the uh, this was the I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. It seemed undignified. Oh, the eighties, man. Yeah, right. But we, when we talked about Harvey Feierstein in the Simpsons episode, we talked about this was his big thing. Yes. And we do mention I, 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 I had no awareness yeah. of this film at the time. Because this was his stage play. He didn't direct or produce this. But yeah. And it was very theatrical. It was. Very, so yeah. they adapted his stage play. And there were some bits of it which felt mm. very 
theatre. Yes. Not in a bad way. No, no, no. And, and they didn't replace him as the central actor. No. He, he played the part that he wrote for himself. But uh, this was 88. So it wasn't... I don't, uh, I don't know when the stage page came out. No, 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 I don't. But when the Simpsons episode came out, I'm thinking that this is the major thing that he had to go off of who Harvey Feinstein is. You're looking at the... the uh, you didn't have IMDb, obviously, mm. but the, the back credits of an actor. Oh, that is interesting, yeah. Um, yeah. I suppose within like that Hollywood... I don't know if this was Hollywood, but whatever. Yeah. That kind of... Industry, the, the mm. business background. Industry, yeah. They must have had like contacts and stuff, and I wouldn't have been surprised if Harry Weinstein was a a friend of one of the writers or one of the actors. See, I I I think it still could have been completely professional because we had a similar uh, discussion about whether this influenced the decision to cast him in Mrs. Doubtfire because it is a very similar role. It is, it is yeah. You know, a let's have a um, a female impersonator type, but it is ideal casting. Him and Robin Williams make perfect brothers. Yeah, they're so good. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if because he's not a he's not a mainstream name. No, and I could understand. No, not understand, but I could see mm-hmm. why a mainstream Hollywood studio would be like, oh, let's not cast that guy. Sure. And so I could totally imagine someone like Robin Williams pushing pushing for Harvey Feierstein. Because okay. he's so great. And mm. Well, um, that, that's it. You couldn't cast him without having this is a, a gay character. You yeah. know, there's no pretense yeah. that he isn't. But I know in... And I feel like that at that point, you would need, unfortunately, you probably would need some like straight dude to, put, well, to, to push that through. Independence Day... He yeah. he plays a colleague of. Is he in Independence Day? He's in Independence Day. He plays a colleague of. Oh, help me out here! Oh, Will it's Smith. not Will Smith. Keep going. <laughs> Keep going. Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum. He plays a colleague of Jeff Jeff Goldblum, who, and it's basically um, Jeff Goldblum says, "What are you going to do now?" And he says, oh, "I'm going to leave the city." I think he says, "I'm going to collect my dad," and but it is a, a bit character that is that all there is to the character. But I remember seeing that as a teenager and kind of going, Jeff Goldblum's character has a gay colleague because you can't have Harvey. Fe- they don't mention his, they, they don't mention his sexuality at all. But you can't have Harvey Firestein as an actor without mm. the character then being That's insinuated yeah. or suggested as gay because he he doesn't play anything else. That's good. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, no, and 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 it's re- it's worth rewatching I would, for that. I would really just... hope that Harvey Weinstein writes that into his contract and says, "My my character's gay." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Um, did you ever read the the book by Russell T Davis about writing Doctor Who? No, no. It's really really interesting. Mm-hmm. It's it's not really a book, but it's like a, a collection of um, correspondence he has with a with okay. A, um, Journalist. Sure. <laughs> That's the word, a journalist. Yeah. And some he was talking about how people say, Oh, you know, you've got a gay agenda. And Rossier was like, Yeah, of course I have. Because T V and cinema is so straight. Yeah. <laughs> Having a gay agenda is like, it's fine. You know, I'm gonna stick a gay character where 
ever I can possible. I don't. Well, I mean, that's exactly. I was. Uh, uh, playing with at the end of this episode to say, don't worry, in the future we'll redress the balance and watch a straight film. (laughs) 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 Exactly! I know! (laughs) But because it's laughable, there are so, you know, it it is such a, and it's the same with films centred on race, which is not European, gender, which is not man, And, and sexuality, which is not hetero. I mean, you know, it is, it is absurd that, that imbalance is, is so, is so strong. But, but, but that is the way of it. I, uh, I went to the, uh, we're recording from Bath, but we could equally be recording from Bristol. But here we have a children's literature festival. Uh, two days ago, I went and saw some Doctor Who, uh, novel writers talk and they talked about the new Doctor Who who is played by Jodie Foster let's say Jodie Foster because neither of us are sure but the, uh, someone in the audience said uh, asked whether they thought it mattered that the new Doctor was female and they all said it matters for the viewers of the show because of representations of women mm. but hopefully if the writers of the, um, oh, Sharon? No, well, I want to say writers, but I, the the script writers mm. write the Doctor, the character, with whatever idiosyncrasy she has. Mm. It doesn't. It, her gender doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because so. yeah, you're writing a character who every alteration there is an idiosyncrasy and that's what you write for mm. but the gender just never comes into and one of them pointed out that there are one or two historic episodes uh, episodes set in history where the doctor's gender comes into it but not very many and if if they if they find the same balance that occasionally she'll go into the past and the fact that she's a woman will be pertinent because they are in the past then that then that's absolutely fine. That is absolutely. I feel that's absolutely fine. Like in the in the most recent series of Doctor Who, mm-hmm. there was one where they went back to like the late seventeen hundreds in London. Which episode? Oh no no that was eighteen that was nineteenth century. The one with the uh, the the under the under, under the, the ice. ice. Yeah, that, yeah yeah that was that was Victorian. It was Victorian, was yeah. it? Okay, cool. Um, either way, mm-hmm. um, they had Bill there who was played. I don't know her name. Oh, her name. She was really good. I don't oh, know yeah, her name. I really liked her. She yeah. was really cool. Um, and there was a really great bit where one of the characters came out and he was totally racist. Yeah. And the doctor punched him in the face. Yes. The doctor yeah. who abhors violence yeah. would punch a racist. And I was like, I'm happy with this. And, and funny enough, I mean, this is this so uh, this isn't me, this yeah. isn't a Doctor yeah. Who podcast. But I I felt that made up for the fact that oh, Pearl Mackey, Bill Mackey, Pearl Mackey, yeah, right, Sorry. uh, Pearl Mackey, yeah. right. That made up for the episode in a previous series when they met with uh, Martha. Back, they went back to oh, Shakespearean, times. Shakespearean times, and they never mentioned her race. Oh no, they totally did. They did. Okay, did they? Yeah. Because yeah. I felt it was underplayed. It was underplayed. And, and, um, it and, 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 like, compliments her on her darkness and stuff. But they, 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 they did it wrong. Them. Yeah, they did it wrong. They did it wrong. Yeah. And I really felt that this episode made up for that. Because yeah. they said, race is an issue, 
And the doctor's response to that is yeah. to punch someone in the face. Yeah. Absolutely. And there's a bit where I yeah. think as well where um, Bill's like, well, there's like loads of black people around here. And the doctor's like, what do you expect? History whitewashes. Yeah. And it's, it's a really nice acknowledgement of the fact, yeah, all right. That's white people are horrible. Yeah. And uh, funny enough, I um, going sorry going back to Torch on Trilogy. Oh, shit, yeah. <laughs> um, I I can't talk on race. Although uh, the right, if I could transpose sexuality in this film as to how sorry sexuality in my life as to how Judaism was represented in the film. And mental health in my life as to how sexuality was represented in the film, then there's a really interesting correlation between this film and my life. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, um, uh, uh, I can think of people in my life that have accepted my sexuality without question, although it is there, but really struggle with representations of mental health. I, I just, when I was watching the film this time, I was like, "This is speaking to me at multiple levels." Okay, that's interesting. Is that is that interesting, or is it? Yeah, I drank um, too much wine. Or, a bit of both. But, bit of both. <laughs> um, I think the the outer layer was definitely it was about sexuality, <laughs> um, whether it's gay or bi. Sure. Um, the mental health side of it, I didn't pick up on that, but then I wasn't. Maybe I wasn't looking out for that. Fair enough. But, um, what, but what about the Judaism thing? As a kind of a... It was never faulted. No one ever said, being Jewish as well. But a part of the film was, this is an undercurrent in all these characters' lives. Um, I didn't pick up on that as such an undercurrent. Maybe as you just said it there. Okay. Um, I, I really liked the scene where... Harvey and his mum have an argument at the grave gravesite because his I I forgot that um, <laughs> it's really obvious when you watch the film that Harvey Feinstein's character and his family are Jewish and I just kind of forgot I was like oh they're just Bronx whatever yeah the the very Manhattan American yeah, yeah. Um, and then there's that bit where he's you know giving Alan 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 uh, there we go. He's given, I, I, f- <laughs> I found the cadence now. He's given Alan the right. Oh, you just ruined that entire bit. He's given Alan the rights, and mm. his mum kicks off. And it's such a sweet scene. It and it's heartbreaking. That's where I and, shed a tear. That's yeah. one of the boys where I shed a tear. And it's like, even though Alan wasn't Jewish, um, I'd be surprised even if Harvey's character was Jewish. Oh, at that point. Well, he wore a. I want to say yashmuk, and I think that's the wrong word. I don't know the term. But a, a skull cap, yeah. and I apologise if I got it wrong. He observes. He observes the traditions. Yeah, but I don't know if he was Jewish. Yeah, on that, I could be wrong. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, don't um, know. I think that's an acceptable way to live. You know, respected traditions or whatever. He 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 was definitely culturally Jewish, if not. And he was culturally aware as well. Yeah. Like, I don't think he was ever. There's a there's a lovely scene. They uh, they go to his dad's funeral, and his dad only appears in one scene, and is obviously and is a lovely character. Yes, he's he's portrayed very and very nice. seems to be accepting of the fact that his son is gay and a female impersonator, and he says, 
can I give you a couple of dollars? And Augustine goes, oh, daddy, I'm okay. And he's like, no, no, it's fine. And the mum is like, what? But, um, which is, is really sweet. But the, the dad, the dad eventually dies. Yeah. And, um. He's in a movie, of course. Because it's in a movie. And Harvey Firestein takes his boyfriend, who's the perfect boyfriend. Matty B. Matty B. To the funeral. And uh, Matthew Broderick says, why are you sitting on this? And Harvey's uh, sitting on the oh, spike. Oh, no, it's because the mirrors are covered. Oh, yeah. Like, why are the mirrors covered? He's like, oh, so we can't see our pain. Yeah. And he's like, why do we sit on boxes? So we can't hide our pain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Ad Bagroff goes, I thought you said he was Jewish. And he's like, oh, <laughs> shit, I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, there is this kind of thing of, even when he was able to admit he had a male partner, he wasn't able to admit that he had a a, a non-Jewish partner. Mm. Um, yeah, really, really interesting, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, oh, right. The other thing is the bury your gaze. Okay, um, what bury your gaze trope? Okay, this is a problem, and this is the fact that in all gay literature, they kill one of the. Gaze. Oh yes, yeah. yeah this yeah. is a massive issue, and this is a really big proponent of it. So much so that when a colleague who I had not come out to as any alternative sexuality said, "Have you seen Brokeback Mountain?" and I said, "I haven't," because I I predict that it's about <laughs> these two guys who get together, fall in love, and then one of them gets murdered. And she was like, "You haven't seen it." I was like. No, I just, I really think that's likely because it is, it is such a strong trope. Yeah. And it is a real problem. Even with Stranger Things, um, I apologize to anyone who hasn't seen the first season of Stranger Things. And it, this is, is not really, this is not a spoiler, really. But there is a queer-ish character who's not a queer character at all, but represents queer characters. And they, have to be sacrificed for the season to come to an end. Oh, Alistair, I haven't seen Stranger Things. How could you do this? Well, hopefully you don't realise which character I'm talking about. I'm never going to watch it anyway, so it doesn't matter. Fair enough. But it, it is a real thing that when you identify the character that represents queer theory, yeah. they get sacrificed for the greater good. Yeah. And, um, I yeah. went to see uh, God's Own Country Sure. Uh, recently. Uh, it's very good. I would recommend anyone to go see it. And if if you look on Twitter, it's already been recommended. Yes. <laughs> Shut up, Alistair. Um, and I watched again. Spo- I'm going to go into spoilers. So, yeah, you know, <laughs> skip the next twenty. We're, we're post spoiler. We're post spoiler. Um, there is a moment in that film I was watching. I was like, oh no, they're going to do the gay tragedy thing, mm-hmm. and it didn't. It had such a sweet ending. You're like. No, that's not a spoiler. <laughs> that's an improver. It, the fact, so you, what you're saying is, go and watch uh, God's Own Country because it it does a, a resurrect your gaze. No, improve your gaze. <laughs> but like even like even films where the gay thing is secondary. I'm thinking the, the, the gay thing is secondary in that mm, film as well. But it's like, more about the relationship. But and, oh, what's the stripping one? Uh, men Yorkshire men stripping. Oh, what, full Monty. Full Monty. Yeah. The, the character who dies is gay. You know what? I haven't seen that film in like 20 years. But nevertheless. I don't even remember no, someone dying in that. Four Weddings and a Funeral. Which character dies? I've never seen Four Weddings the, and a Funeral. The gay. 
I'm aware of the stereotype. I know, but nobody drill at home. But it is it is weird that it is so it's it's significant in films which aren't about. Yeah, I'm aware of it. Yeah, no, you don't need to justify it. It's, but it's a real problem. And but no, the, it is. But Stop it trying to me like it's not. But it's the fact that these films, which I mean, this I watched when I was fourteen or fifteen. There was one summer where, like, I'm glad you watched this when you were that age. Yeah, I wouldn't have had access to these films. No, well, it was there was one summer where either BBC Two or Channel Four showed a whole, a summer of mm. gay films, and I like, saw them all because it was that age where I could watch films when my parents had st- had gone to bed. <laughs> but yeah, the idea that. Uh, and and, and a, a friend, a mutual friend of ours who knows about film theory said, oh, well, when you're writing a film, the best way to engage with an audience is to kill a sympathetic character. And it's like, no, no, a better way would be to make them win the lottery and finish the film with them going, screw you all, I won the lottery. <laughs> but yeah, it's a problem. But in this, it was, it was pertinent. It was appropriate. Really yeah. sad. I'm really sad that Harvey Firestein ended the film heading towards Ed, his long-lost love who had screwed around, rather than Matty B. Allen, who dies to 80s thugs. And we all know that... That's to prove a plot point. 80s punk street thugs never actually existed in the real world. We know this. <laughs> they were just used in films as a go-to enemy. And video games. Yeah, the go-to to avoid talking about uh, race. Yeah, we we know this. Can't There's say. a very good Jeffrey Lewis comic mm-hmm. um, in the philosophy of punk, which is a very good book. Sure, I'm gonna do another shout out. It's uh, a very good book. Do do it. It's Christmas. It's, it's gift, Christmas. Gifts to everyone. You know, you've got your old, you've got your old dad. Yeah, buying the philosophy of punk. It's very sure. good by Jeffrey Lewis. It's not by Jeffrey Lewis. About it's, Jeffrey Lewis. <laughs> it's a compilation of different things. For sure. Uh, Jeffrey Lewis is one of the contributors. Okay. And yeah, he has a very good comic book about um, how when he was growing up, all the punks were like the bad guys in 80s arcade games. Where he's like, I'm going to stroll along, I'm going to punch this guy with a mohawk. The Terminator is, is the biggest uh, exponent of that. Was Bill, Bill Pullman. Is he one of the punks? He's one of the punks. Of course he is. Well, that makes sense. We yeah. should probably think about rounding up right now. We have possibly overrun. A little bit. Yeah. But has this film improved your Christmas cheer or has it set you on a road to uh, January depression? I really enjoyed the film. Mm-hmm. I feel it's enhanced every aspect of my life. Are you likely to go home and cradle a um, a net full of oranges, a baseball cap, a pair of horrible eighties glasses, and a, a photo of your dead ex, and just you know? I'm just gonna go home and cry over a DVD of Godzilla. Sorry, my favorite. <laughs> Matthew Allen. Allen. Um, Godzilla. Fair enough. <coughs> well, in which case, so it just leaves me to say, Happy Hanukkah, Dan. Happy Hanukkah, Alison. T2I and B Hutches. Mm-hmm.